So I thought I was the queen of Airbnb. Check the profile. I visited all the places. However, how can I truly be a queen if I have never been a host? Didn't even think about it, y'all. It's time to think about it because my place is cute. Why not share? I know. I got you thinking about it now. All right. Well, don't think about it. Be about it. Find out how you can be a host at airbnb.com slash host. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I can already tell <laughs> this is going to be <laughs> a classic episode already, just based on the pre-interviews. Um, I, I usually try to discourage any small talk because I always know that something magical is going to happen and we don't uh, have it, but it's already happened, folks, but that doesn't mean that it can't continue. Uh, welcome to another episode of What's Left Supreme. I'm your host, Questlove. Uh, we are here with Team Supreme. Laia, you are back in Los Angeles or are you in Philly right now? Child, I'm back in Los Angeles. Where are you? Where are you? Oh, you're Ooh, damn. Okay. My, my fault, huh? No, oh, no, wait, no. was I snitching too much? No, oh, no, okay. no. I was just saying it's been a long... I've been done four states in three days. It's a lot. That's why I was... Oh, you, you was on a war tour with yeah, Muhammad, your man. Okay. I was like, well, I get you. this joint. Right. <laughs> I see. All right. Well, it's good. Glad, glad you're back. Glad to see you in familiar settings. Uh, uh, unpaid bill, you doing, yes, you doing cool? Rocking the suburbs, rocking the suburbs. I can't stop doing laundry, I'm fantastic. Everything's good. Did you receive your Tony yet, or is it still waiting? No, or September Tony, September uh, comes in the mail, and then yeah, you and me go to the Oscars. We're going to the Oscars, what? son. Wait, what you got? What you got going on? What you got going on? What you nominated for? That's right. Damn, I forgot, son. All right, all right, I forgot. You, you we'll get seats right next to each other, it'll be great. All right, Fontigolo. Right. How's, how's it going? I'm good, bro. I'm down 30. Yes. Okay. Hey, let's hear Look at you. Let's hear it. I'm keeping it going, man. I'm taking a swig right now from uh, what's tonight's <laughs> dinner. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking leek, fennel, zucchini, tomato, and lemon. Oh, Ooh, yum. You drinking? I got to drink my salads, y'all. I got to drink my salads. Because I just eat mine. I got yeah. So you can't do like toss salad and then like that? <laughs> I mean, I could, that. but then I'll, I'll be lying. Grace be like, you eat your salad? And I'm like, yeah, sure I did. And then, you know. Oh, it's then, faster to just take it down. I'd rather hey. just drink it because, you. you know, I'm yeah, I'm I'm that guy. It's easier for me to drink my salad. Hey, man, get it get it how you live, bro. I love mm-hmm. you. Uh, we, should, we should acknowledge that uh, in the five-year history of the show, uh, Sugar Steve is sitting this one out wow. for the first uh, time ever. Sugar Steve's personal friend, uh, Paul Simon. 
<laughs> has ah. offered has Paul Simon and his wife Edie Brickell have have offered Steve his uh Yankee tickets. And so, you know, that's that's where Steve is right now. It's an amazing so, sentence. Uh, I feel like Steve should have been like, hell no, I got a show to do. I'm not going Paul Simon to the Yankees. No. I know, man, but you know, this, this is a once in a lifetime thing. You know, True. he lives True. with baseball. Um, so I will start by saying those that are very familiar with this podcast know my tendency to ramble on about a lot of things, especially all things Soul Train. I have a, I'm an extreme obsession with it. Um, every aspect of the show, not just being the hippest trip in America, but actually being a, you know, the, the science behind how the show works. And I also learned about the business of how relationships are crucial uh, to making a project work. Uh, for instance, you know, the first two seasons of Soul Train, Don Cornelius had sort of leaned on all of his resources from Chicago to help get the show off the road. So you'd see like a lot of Chicago heavy Curtis, Lou Rawls, uh, Gene Chandler, Jackie Wilson, all Chicago artists that, you know, and nearby Indiana, Ohio. So once the show got really hitting uh, by season three and season four, I started to notice several themes like the Philly International shows and the Motown shows and all the Barry White acts. So all that saying, even with my personal entry into the music business, you know, sometimes as a new act, you have to have someone vouch for you and strong arm and muscle you into situations. For instance, for my situation, uh, my agent, Kara Lewis, world famous Kara Lewis from Paid and Full Kara Lewis, you know, before a promoter can even think of getting the Hard Not Life tour or the Dr. Dre Snoop Up and Smoke join, you know, she would force promoters to take like seven high paying roots gigs just to even have a conversation about having a Jay-Z show, whatever. So that said, um, I was always curious to know how an unknown Rufus and Shaka Khan became like majestic, almost over, slightly overnight, like two or three years, whatever. So I would actually look up the histories of the unknown artists that were coming on Soul Train and realize that most of them had a name in common. And that name, of course, was uh, the world famous Bob Ellis. Um, who at the time, uh, you know, in addition to uh, managing his uh, then wife, Diana Ross, uh, also with Billy Preston, um, comedian Franklin Ajay, I believe. Um, But even like with Ron Wood, Ron Wood being on Soul Train with Billy Preston, that was like, "Hmm, how'd that happen? Meatloaf, status quo for all you Jay Dilla heads, um, many status quo samples on on his mixtapes. Um, our guest today has pretty much, you know, ushered in a very important era uh, for a lot of uh, acts in the 70s that we've grown up listening to. And not to mention um, his progeny, one of our favorite people on earth, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, is, you know, her father. We are very, very honored uh, to have on our show today. All right. So shall I name it with your proper name or how I've known you? As just Bob Ellis, because just, just Bob Ellis is cool. <laughs> okay, so I shouldn't because <laughs> I was like, do I call you Robert Elvis uh, Silverstein or wow, you know? Elvis. <laughs> no, I, dropped, I dropped Silverstein. Uh, you know when I I think of when I was an intern for a PR firm when I moved to Los Angeles. Um, I'll tell you real quick, uh, and then we'll get into Billy and Shaka. So I was an intern. Take over. 
you know. <laughs> Wait, can I say your name first? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Bob Ellis to Quest Love Supreme. Yes. Thank you, Tracy. Hit me. All right, hit me. I honor it, so I honor But uh I don't know how fast you want me to tell these stories, but Man, go in, bro. Take Take time. Time. The so, least so, talking I do, the better. Intern, you know, at a PR firm. And I basically was delivering mail, delivering tickets, you know, to famous actors. And and they said, What, you know, this young kid, one of you know, that's when the Beach Boys and the Beatles were making all this noise. And I'm sure, you know, Motown was uh, started. And so my, the first client that came to this PR firm was Billy Preston. And so I started to do his PR and then I went to England with him and, and Quest, I'm telling you that within eight weeks, I was his manager, okay? And he couldn't get off wow. that road. Uh, Alan Klein wouldn't release him and James Taylor, okay? Uh, but we were doing, I've got gold records with Get Back, My Sweet Lord. You you know, I did Bangladesh with George Harrison. So I I owe everything to Billy Preston. Uh, you know, I knew James Cleveland and I went to James's church. Billy was the band behind James Cleveland. I did a concert with James Cleveland in Chicago where 18, 19,000 people came with tambourines. <laughs> wow. So wait a minute. Billy Preston used to play uh -huh. with James Cleveland? Yeah. Oh. Old. Do I have to say any more? Fonte. <laughs> Do I need to say any more? Exactly. Say it again. <laughs> no, no. Do yeah. I need to say any more? Because you're smiling. No, 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 no. Is this all? It, it, everything seems to be falling in line now. Okay. Well, what I, I, I kind of want to start with the beginning. Yes. Where were you born? Yes. Uh, in Long Branch, New Jersey. Really? Long Jersey, Branch, New Jersey. Yeah, Jersey Shore. Asbury Park, Deal, Long Branch. Okay. What do you know? What your What was your first musical memory? Uh, Bobby V. <laughs> you know, really? Aramon, the K. Yes. Because <laughs> my dad, my dad is is kind of a tri-state doo-wop legend. I I know all those names. So, you know what was his name? Frankie Crawford. Frankie uh, yeah, Crocker. Crocker. Uh, Frankie Crocker. You know. Yes. Uh, I think Wendy was on BLS too. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, over the years. Anyway, that's how I got started, um, and, and it's all because of Billy Preston saying, "Would you manage me?" Then I got involved with the Beatles, and then I, you know, but I flew. <laughs> I took a loan out and bought two plane tickets, and we went to George Harrison's out, Billy and I. But right. I went okay. to Pittsburgh and no, <laughs> and I got a letter, and I knew if I got George. Harrison to sign it, you know, that Ellen Klein couldn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I had already got an okay from Herb Albert and Jerry Moss over at AM. You remember them on La Brea? Yes. You know? And so we flew to Henley on Thames, where George lived. We stayed overnight. We sat in his kitchen. We explained to him the situation. And they were unaware of the way things were being, you know, run over Abbey Road and Apple. Mm -hmm. And he, us and you know we flew back and the next two days you know we had a deal with AM records and came out without a space can, can i ask a question though since you had dealings with them can you i've always heard um sort of albert klein's name and throughout the years especially with the way that sort of paul mccartney speaks of how 
the the ATV publishing situation went down with Michael Jackson or the lack of control that they had. Like, what was the 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 sort of the business operandi of managers back then? As in, like, did the Beatles sign a particular contract in which they gave all their publishing away before they knew how valuable those songs were going to be? Or, well, don't quote me on this, but. I okay. believe they were they were signed as songwriters, you know, like a regular job. It was better than working in a grocery store. So they were signed as songwriters. So, so sort of like the Brill Building or like. Exactly. OK, These, I get it. The Brill Building, you know, with Carol King and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I could name them all, but I'm trying to concentrate, you know, and uh, um, uh, and so. You know, I just saw that's on Hulu, the one, two, three with Rick Rubin that just yes. came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. Soul of Summer's on Hulu too, right? Yes. Or is, yeah. And so, you know, I just noticed in the last month or so, Quest, that the janitor used to pick up the lyrics and at Sotheby's, at Sotheby's as an auction. You know, Paul didn't know about it. Howard, Howard Stern asked him, well, how, how did that guy end up with the lyrics? You know, when we were songwriters, we just ripped the page, ripped the page and throw it on the floor. He right. happened, let it be, you know, or yesterday, you right. know, and they went for a million dollars to have handwritten lyrics. So it was, you know, back then, oh, Sharon Osbourne's father was a big deal in England. Okay. Uh, he was uh, as a manager. I think he's the first one to hang somebody out the window uh, because they weren't, weren't doing the right thing. With with the, with his acts, you know the record label. We all have heard that story. You know, I was around with Priority. Um, then Diddy did it, but there was always that. You know, everybody was trying to live up. Trust me, it was Sharon Osbourne's father that did it first. Wow. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, so so like most acts, you know, that have been taken advantage of. You know, uh, back then, um, you know, they didn't pay it. They were happy to get three percent royalty. You know, they were happy to be a songwriter while these people were becoming the publishers and co-songwriters, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and and it, it was just a way of doing business. I don't want to say that it's, uh, you know, it's the way they did business back then. Um, Can I ask you what yeah. year what year did that sort of strong arming mob mentality sort of stop like in other words like when did the music industry become starbucks where you couldn't mob your way with a baseball bat if you want to into a situation was, At least it was, was that like the end of the mom and pop labels or yeah or is it still happening i thought it was still happening. <laughs> right did it ever stop you know there was chess records uh-huh. um, marshall chess. chicago yeah and chicago you know, and his father, Marshall's father, was a strong arm kind of guy. We had, uh, when I first signed uh, Rufus, which was Billy Preston's band, and they found this girl in Chicago who could mm-hmm. sing, you know, and just to, just to you know, lighten up the conversation, the, we made a record deal at a company called ABC Records. Uh, mm-hmm. What was his name? Otis, Otis Smith. Mm-hmm. Um was the the black guy at the company? Let's call it Urban, but they didn't use the word Urban. That was R and B. There was no rap back then, you know. And so we were in the studio. I think at Record Plant off of La Cienega, 
and Shaka could sing so clearly. And Stevie Wonder happened to be in the other studio. And so he could hear through the walls because he was Stevie Wonder, you know. And so he had to come in and he said, tell me something good. And then she'd raise the note, tell me, so, you know, I can't sing. Obviously, I can play the telephone, but but um, they, they went back and forth. And before you know it, you know, Shaka was clever at songwriting and Stevie was touching her, trying to get a feeling for it. And they're going back and forth with notes. Billy used to do that with Ray Charles. We'd go to a show and in between songs, he would sing out a note. Ray could hear him in the audience and then play that note on the piano. And then Billy would go down the piano and play another note from his voice. And they'd go back and forth. And he said, hey, come on up here. You, you know, wow. the incredible stuff, you know, going back then. I mean, Billy was involved with Ike Turner. Billy was involved with Sly Stone. I can remember Phil Spector not being happy with the lights, so he just shot him out. I can remember. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, this shit is just, it's just dope. I mean, this stuff really happened. You know, they, Jesus. You know separating the board from the studio. Well, they wanted to get a real drum sound in the, in the, where the board is, so they took the, they knocked the glass out and brought the drums into the board. I mean, Jesus. everything been there um, um, and done it. And then again, but um, uh, that's how Billy was responsible for me uh, just getting involved. You know, what? from got Ronnie Wood. Uh, then the, in 1976 or 75, after we had done all the Beatles stuff, the Stones wanted Billy... And, and Mick Taylor just quit the Stones. He was the guitar player. Brian Jones died. Then they got Mick Taylor. And so when they asked me about Billy, Ronnie Wood was with Faces at the time and unhappy. And so they both were sidemen on the Goat's Head Soup tour in 1976. I have pictures. Right. Um, and so, and then obviously... Uh, Billy wanted his own career, but we still did the Beatles. We all, Billy was playing for everybody. That's how I, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have met anybody. That's wait, wait, you're jumping everywhere. We're, we're going to get to all that. We're going to go through all that. <laughs> what, what, what I want to know is, well, one, what were you doing right before you managed Bill, Billy Preston? And what do you think it was about you uh, that asked you to be his manager, like in terms of, was it your organizational skills or like, did you pursue him? Did he pursue you? It, it started with PR, but let me even go back. I was, yeah. I was a gifted athlete. I played football, basketball, and baseball. Okay? Uh, what position you play uh, football? I was a, an end. I went on to West Virginia University and played on a scholarship. Okay. You defensive so end or tight end? At that time, it was a tight end. <laughs> tight end. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> you know, um, and so I had all these teen teammates growing up from the Little League to the Babe Ruth. I didn't come from, you know, Long Branch is a, a diverse community. And so, you know, I was comfortable with everybody. It didn't, you know, it, I didn't look at somebody, you know, he was, a, you know, my teammate. And so my comfortable you know my 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 being you know was was teammates you know sports was my the only thing in my life um until i got hurt playing in college 
So maybe there was a comfortable zone that Billy and I had, but I have that kind of personality, you know, that, uh, you know, you either like me or you don't, <laughs> you know, it's that simple. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I throw a lot of uh, emotion into whatever I do. I don't know how to do anything a hundred percent. I have to do it 120%. Wow. If it's 60 or 70, I don't even want to be involved, man. I don't I even want to, oh, I just have to live it, breathe it and, and do it. And, and I kind of got that way with Billy. You know, I saw how people were taking advantage of him. I saw how the Stones were just paying him as a sideman. You know, yes, they would give him a gold record. And so, the you know, I met, you know, Mick and George and Paul and Ringo. And, you know, he'd sit there. They didn't give him music. He, he just played from a feeling. Right. You know, I know he could read music, mm -hmm. wow. you know. And so we just hit it off. And uh, I made him a publishing deal. I made him a record deal. And then, you know, then his band was Bobby Watson and uh, Andre uh, Fisher. Andre, Andre Fisher, right. uh, Bobby Watson, and Tony Maiden. Okay. Right. Mm. Was this was this before uh, George and Lewis Johnson, uh, the brothers Johnson, came into play, or were they were the Rufus guys with him before the brothers the, Johnson guys were there? We only had one Johnson. And that was the first. Then he, you know, then we were getting touring opportunities. And the Johnson brothers were, were talented, so they went on their own. So we replaced them with Tony and Bobby, Tony Watson and Bobby. Oh, yeah. okay. You know I got what I'm it. saying? So, so that's how it came to be. Uh, that was Rufus. Okay. His rhythm section was Rufus. And then okay. they Jocka. And so in the beginning, if you look at the records, it was just Rufus. You know, and then like, I don't want to make comparisons, but the Supremes, and then they, you know, to keep everybody happy, it was Diana Ross and the Supremes. Right. I the Supremes when she still was a Supreme. <laughs> right, I see. When when we called Preston the, the fifth Beatle, was there actual, I mean, of course, we, we know they imploded in 70, 71, 70, but was there actual serious talk about literally making him a fifth beetle, or, or did that fifth beetle talk sort of happen after the fact, like after they broke up? No, it, it was all part of uh, of Billy Preston's magic. He he, even in England, he was known as the he was the only one that was around them that wasn't a beetle, and so it was his ability to play and not have to hear a note but add to their music. George and Billy were the closest. George Harrison right. and. You know, there was that myth in, you know, there was a music express. I can't remember, but there were so many, you know, there were so many magazines um, in England that were music oriented because of what was happening, you know, with Pink Floyd, you know, Queen, uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, there was just, mm -hmm. but he was into it. You know, the boy bands came, you know, and then it just morphed into something different. It's kind of like, like clothing with, you know, now I see that Pandora's got the new station is Studio uh, Studio 54. You, you know, they're bringing back uh, disco. And I'm mm -hmm. going, oh, man, I remember when they were burning disco records, you know, in a stadium, you right. know, because everybody had had it. I don't even remember what stadium it was. Okay, I'll let you ask the questions. I get too excited. Yeah, because I still <laughs> want to know. I'm still tripping on the fact that there may have been a black beetle at some point. Is that what y'all are saying? Like that would have been. Yeah, a, was that really a conversation? Yeah, I mean, he 
basically Billy Preston came to prominence even before as a solo artist because he was he was there for their very last show. Were you there on that rooftop show? I was not there at the rooftop show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there for the Let It Be uh, sessions, though, correct? Uh, yes. Can you describe what those last days were like? Was there tension in the air? Like how how did especially with Phil Spector as a producer? Like what was the just the general Let It Be sessions like? Especially with Preston's involvement with it. You know, there was no. You know, everybody had their quirks. Everybody, you know, but. The one thing in common was music, you know. Um, nobody told anybody what to play. It was all done by Felix Crest. You, you know what I'm, you know, mm-hmm. kind of leading when you're writing a song, you know. The big, the trailer for Paul McCartney is, you know, the roadie says, pass me the salt and pepper. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah, and, I've seen it. And Paul says, Sergeant Peppers, what are you talking about? He says, no, the salt and pepper, man. And so... Paul then says, you, you know, it's I haven't seen it, but it's that kind of thing, you know, where you feed off of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's, it's unless you, you're studio. Um, again, remember, I'm not a musician. So no, no, I but I mean, did you sense tension in the air? Like, because they basically broke up on the record that Billy was involved with the most. So I'm I, just trying to I, figure out, like, how I did not. I did okay. not anything you know it was just a team of people playing music listen black representation is essential if i hadn't seen and heard certain black women in radio i wouldn't be in radio women like robin breeden candy shannon michelle wright deanna williams women owning radio stations like Kathy Hughes. Listen, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. Word. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Smurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb, duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa, mind blowing. 
And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Uh, can you describe what um, working with Jerry Moss and, and Herb Alpert were like in, in the sort of this, the 70s incarnation of A&M Records? Uh, there was another guy, too, Gil Friesen. I don't know what he does now. Gil Friesen, yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. they were just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, they had Lou Adler with, um, what was his, uh, he had a record label within the Moss. So it was, a. I don't know if you remember, they bought the, I'm going to say, Laurel and Hardy Studios. Um, so the, the on oh, the break, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, Charlie I'm, Chaplin. It was Charlie yeah. Chaplin. Yeah, Henson Studios. Well, same thing. Well, now it's Henson. Same thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was kind of a unique uh, place. And Chong, Carol Adler, Billy Preston. You know the. You know all of the acts. Everybody was on the lot. You know you had to reserve the studio. Sly wanted to record there. It became like a record plant. The place mm-hmm. to record. Yep. You know, like like Bob, uh, that's well, crazy because you know we taped an episode with Shaka at that building. You did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. is up for uh, Hall of Fame this year, I believe. Well, she, she was nominated, but oh. I'll try for next year. Oh, <laughs> oh no, you know, I mean, it's you know, it's you got to pick and choose. That's a long story. That's H- a long hills story. and mountains got you. When, when you when you're when you're getting the you know the people to vote or however one gets on the Hall of yeah. Fame. Maybe you can remind them that Diana hasn't been nominated. As what? A that's, oh, that's right. right. That's right. Well, Wait. she's not there yeah, as right. a solo act, but she's there as a supreme. Right, so. but it's the same argument as Tina in a way, right? Like, is I, I mean, I'm, my personal opinion is, is like once you're in the Hall of Fame, you should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, for me to do solo acts and that, I mean, that's basically just to nuance the Hall of Fame as an entity. Like, okay, we need somebody exciting. I don't know. I I, I kind of feel like once you're in, you're in. Bodies of work, isn't it? Like you respect a body of work with the Supreme and Diana, but then she had her whole body of work by herself. I get it. But but my whole thing is like, but when when we start like double dipping, then that just takes Mm. other other slots away from other people. Uh, Like in other words, if Tina, who's already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, weren't there, then I'm certain that, Chicago, um, Chicago, Shaka would have been an easy ushering. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I know it's, uh, it's, it's hard. I, Bob, I'm just trying fix to it, Bob fix it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said fix it. I'm, I'm aware uh, of it. 
there's two sides to every, maybe three sides to every yeah. story. True. And it's political too, you know. It's, it's very uh, political. You you know, it's like the Grammys. Finally, they made a change. You you know, um, I, you know, we we could bring up the weekend, but you know, let's just stay focused here because I'll go yeah. in any direction you want to. <laughs> I bet you could go. So there. okay, so walk me through the process of in the early seventies. Walk me through the process of what it really takes to break an artist open. Now, today we have a different mentality, of course, uh, to be, uh, you know, you, you break your artist out on social media, which spreads faster. But in the 70s, with limited resources, as far as like talk shows are concerned, music shows are concerned, like how do you strategize breaking an act like Billy Preston open, especially when like three of his biggest hits were instrumentals? Right. Speaking of space race, speaking of like all the all those all those like early uh, uh, songs of his. So how can you walk us through what your strategy was in breaking him wide open? Independence. <laughs> Do you remember uh, the old independent, you know, that would promote your record that could guarantee you a top 50 record? OK, walk us through that for, for our artists who doesn't know. OK, like um, so let's take a let's take a. Will it go or sing a simple? I sang a simple. No, no, no. Let's do will it go round in circles. So, okay. Will it go round in circles is completed. Now, right. how do you break that open? What's the first thing that happens? What's the first phone call you make? Jerry, Gill, uh, Herb all believed in this song. It, there was rhythm, you know, there was a rhythm to it. It was something that you would repeat afterwards. Um mm -hmm. And it was like the perfect song for them to get behind. And so they hired the the promotion department had, uh, I would say, 20 uh, independent guys that could buy program directors. Got to remember, there wasn't <laughs> radio. Each city had their own R&B. You know, it was mm -hmm. either a black record or a white record or, you know, every once in a while, like, you know, you didn't know, but... Um, so you could buy, you know, if the record was good and it was getting play on both stations, you know, both sides of the, you know, you could buy, mm -hmm. you could buy program directors. Now they used everything from cash to trips, you know, they walk us, walk us, like <laughs> whatever, whatever you're allowed to say. What I mean, it's been written about in Hitman. So, okay. So at the time when you're hearing the song, are you guys instantly saying, this song has the right elements to actually be a pop hit or you're yeah. just like, let's establish him on the R and B chart. First of all, it's like black music right? with, 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 his, with his Beatles sort of pedigree with his, with Billy Preston's Beatles pedigree. Are you guys instantly thinking that, okay, that's enough to just instantly take him to the pop charts or are you like, okay, let's establish his black roots first. And then we cross over to pop. Like we never thought we, we always thought, of pop and R&B at the time. We never we never categorized Billy as an R&B act or as a, you know, as a pop act. We just categorized him because of the Beatles, because of the interviews and everybody wanted to know what it was like to play with the Beatles. We had some momentum, you know, as that wave you're waiting for. So now how do we ride that wave? You know, so the, you know, we knew we had to get a, a, I didn't pay for it. Billy didn't pay for it. It was a matter of doing business. You got these 10 independents that could buy major cities 
And then all the small cities would follow the major cities playing those 20 records, you know, and it was paid for. It was called payola. You know, it was a big scam. Yeah. I didn't know they used that word out loud. Why well, payola? Yeah, that's an old term that I don't, yeah. you know, use it. TikTok is used now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what it was. I don't even know the algorithm for TikTok, but you know, you got people popping up selling 50 million downloads, you know, from TikTok. I think somebody's selling algorithms, <laughs> you know. Uh, I always, always wondered. I think you got over yeah, a million viewers on a, TikTok too, right, Bob? You, so you, you know, know. Driver, driver's license is good, but come on, man. I mean, you know. <laughs> Damn, you got Olivia Rodrigo smoke already? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Yo. Preston to Olivia Rodrigo is just like that. Any, with anybody, you could take 10 top artists and they didn't sell that many downloads, you know. So, you know, it's payola. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you know, the Chinese are selling the algorithms like Facebook does. I don't even know anymore. See, but payola, payola was, was, you know, I really remember going to court. Did I hire them? No, I didn't hire them. All the record companies did. You know, and they all got their hands slapped. And then for a minute, it never stopped until I heart or until there was one program director across the country. Right. You know, um, I can't remember when wow. it stopped. I well, think that, it stopped in like the early 2000s, like yeah. early well, 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to well, say. One sound scan, yeah, I think one sound scan came into play. Then you couldn't well, just independently. No, no I was yeah. after that, man. Wow. No, I'm, I can't even give you a date. Because they're they're kind of uh, convoluted. Yeah. Um, okay. I've been on a couple of them so trips. At at the time, and I know that for a lot of black acts in the seventies, it seemed like a whole new world of it's it's a whole new playing field because all the limitations that were there in the sixties as far as non Motown black acts in the fifties and forties and thirties and twenties and before the seventies is suddenly uh, a brand new type of playing field. I won't say that's an even level playing field, but I'll say that it was a new type of playing field. Whereas black acts could sort of experience um, the kind of accolades and, and bells and whistles that were there for their rock or white counterparts. So that said, I know that in the seventies, there was you, there was Shep Gordon, mm -hmm. uh, there was Freddie Demand. Uh, Bob Cavello, Ruffalo, and uh, I forget. Fargnoli. Yeah, Fargnoli, all those cats. Is it the equivalent of trying to muscle a rebound in an NBA game? Like, as far as... As far as sports metaphors go. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I just mean in terms... Well, I'm just saying in terms of, you know, someone's the big dog, you know, and you someone's the big dog in the game and then you got to figure out how to also muscle your way into a situation so that your act does get on Diana Shore or your act does get on Don Kirshner's rock concert or your act does get his 50 spins a week on a particular radio station. Like as far as your peers were concerned, at least for those, those acts I name, am I naming the correct acts of, of managers that were the super, like who, who in your opinion were like your peers, the top five, managers for black acts that were crossover. I mean, do you agree that Demand, Freddie Demand and Shep Gordon, yeah, you Madonna, uh, uh, I think back then, but Shep Gordon was my friend. Uh, okay. So, so through Luther, I had an act 
you know, um, I think that Billy introduced me to Donny Hathaway. Um, um, really? Yeah. This is um, but Luther was Shep's act. So was Alice Cooper. But uh, right. I had an office in a guy's, a big accountant, accountant's office called Bert Padell. And yes, sir. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So, so it was on Broadway. And uh, Earl the Pearl Monroe had his little record company up there. And uh, really, yeah, uh, Earl the Mike, Pearl had a label. Yeah, wow. For a okay. minute, uh, Michael Lang from Woodstock had Joe Cocker. That's how he did "You Are So Beautiful." That's how I got that hit. Billy wrote it, of course. You know about God, and then Joe Cocker made it. You know, so. <laughs> more popular. You know, mm-hmm. right? It, it's just. It's being in the right place at the right time and having some luck, you know. I know, you know, you work your you work together. That A side, the publishing, then the B side is just a B side, but everybody knows the A side is a hit, and mm-hmm. then the film directors play the B side. But at least you have the <laughs> B side. But you go with it and say, oh, you know, that was the right song all the way. You know, we always believe in the, you know, we like that song too. Everybody take credit for being lucky and being at the right place at the right time. Four or five times that I can remember, even with Billy, you know, everybody's for sure. Everything sounds good in the studio. I used to take the the, the cassette uh, outside and put it in my car and say, you know, Same. it's one listening to the studio, but right. let me see sounds in the car right. you know it sounds corny but i wanted to know how that cassette or e-track sounded in the car i can't even remember you, you know and then yeah. you know, not that i could even influence a phil specter or a billy preston or uh whoever else i worked with but you know i i was involved in it you know from the beginning you know going to the studio um to, to go into the record label, you know, to, I'm just, it's total involvement. You know, it's a commitment that you make, you know, with even, even with Meatloaf, with Shaka, with Rufus, with Billy, you know, with, with the English acts that I've had, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, there's a tremendous commitment. You know, I go on the road, I'd be flying, you know, four or five days a week. So I could be, then I had children and then it's not like my ex didn't, you know, uh, tour, she, you know, that was the height of her touring days. Right. So, you know, it was a constant commitment. But I will tell you that I just brought up a story because you mentioned the, the Philly sound. I sold out Shea Stadium 40 years ago with Shaka and the OJs. Wow. wow. Really? Yeah. For 10 other acts, but I was involved with a promoter and I can't think of his name. Maybe it was Ron Delsner. Quest, do you know who Ron Delsner is? I've heard the name, uh, not, I've heard this name before, just in. He's the first one to do Central Park. He's the first one to clean it up. He did Elton John and Eric Clapton at Chase Stadium during the summer and then would resod the outfield while they had three away games. I mean, he is a legend. It, and then Live Nation was formed from his, he has, still has the lease on Jones Beach, which is a public yeah. park. You know, it's a oh, state wow. park, you okay. know. And then when Live Day bought Pace and bought, you know, that there was before AEG, it was before uh, 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 Clancy and uh, uh, the Bowery Ballroom. Do you, do you know? I mean, the Bowery yes. Productions, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then I had theaters with Delsner during that 40-second redevelopment. What was your phone book like? Because I also know mm-hmm. that relationships 
like just to be a manager and you're naming all these names, I'm certain. And that was just like New York connections. I'm certain like, like with Philly, with Larry Marshak and all these like Ticketron and all all these other spots. And this is post Billy Pre Preston, right? Too. Like you're getting well, all yeah, the in the early 70s. So yeah, it's totally. just how how exhausting is it maintaining relationships, especially when this is such a favor for favor business? I'm still doing it, Crest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, you, you know, I, I mean, I'll match my contacts to your contacts on my phone, man. I mean, I'm still doing it. You know, I'm still friends with the guy that made the deal for priority to go to EMI. You know, I stay in this house. That was 30 years ago. Um, he was also the CEO at Arista Records. You know, he was the CEO wow. for Chris Blackwell when Chris brought Bob Marley to America, Island Records, um, mm -hmm. uh, Yellow Man, all of those people, you yeah. too. I mean, I can go on and on how many acts that I've been around, but I developed these wow, relationships. Yellow man. Wow. <laughs> how did zoom, I get zoom, 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 zoom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating how your story and Shep's story sounds so similar, especially in your beginnings, because it seemed like both of y'all had artists that just looked, I don't want to say just looked at you, but had a conversation, looked at you and said, you should be a manager. And it just built from there. Yeah. What do you think it is that those artists saw in you, uh, Bob, that, yeah. that made them say like, hey, we trust you to do this? You know, I, <laughs> I have the, that, that, you know, Quest plays the drums, you know, mm. uh, we all have some, uh, some hidden talent, you know, I see on, you know, America's Got Talent, an artistic kid can't see, can't talk, you know, but he'll sit, in the sit at the piano and sound like Elton John. I, I don't know, maybe I was, you know, you know, the way Billy was taught by God to play the piano, you know. I don't mm -hmm. think you could teach somebody to play baseball or basketball. They either have it, you know, I don't care if you coach them or tennis, whatever it is. I think that, you know, you kind of find your way. I was lucky enough to find my way in life um, and take advantage that I had a way with people, you know, that they went away, that they... Uh, that they like me, but I genuinely like them. And I never stopped networking. I mean, you know, uh, Crash, you know, I've been, I had a, a, a rap label with Africa Mambada and a guy called Rocky Buchanan in eight, 1985 called Strong City that the guy Strong from. City, yeah. Wait a minute. You were part of Strong City? I was half owner, yeah. Shit. Okay. I didn't know that. That's a busy bee and. Yeah, Bisty B, Lady B from Philadelphia. Yes, Plus, Lady B. Boy, I had a crush on her, man. <laughs> I can't we wait to tell did. her that. I cannot wait to tell we her that. We all did. She still looks timeless. Yeah, she wait, okay, so since we're talking about that, can you, what is your general rule of thumb for management? I know Shep's whole thing was like, uh, don't forget the cash. Rule number two is remember to always never forget don't forget the cash. <laughs> and then rule number exactly. three is <laughs> always remember to never forget. Don't get the to cash. get the cash. Yeah. But for you, because even, okay. Like I, I know that even though I'm, I'm social, I don't really, I'm, I'm a reluctant people person. Like I know that with managing, you have to sit and talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. You got to talk with them. You got to spend time. Da -da 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 -da. I'm I'm personally I'm kind of a hands-off guy and like I'll do just enough just to nuance the relationship. But I mean, was there ever a time in 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 your especially in those like first 10 years where 
you got to eye roll because you, you got to take this guy out to dinner in order to get spins here or, you know, what, whatever you did to negotiate Billy Preston for that fast break movie in the 70s or whatever. What are your general rules of management? There, there were no rules. I, I genuinely liked people. Don Cornelius and I were friends before he put Billy Preston on. Don Cornelius and I played basketball with Mary Wilson's second husband, Pedro. You know, we had a regular game. I was up at Don's house a lot. Don had a record label. I don't know if you know this. Don know. had a record label and that he needed me in New York. You know, and, you know, I'm not going to be obvious, but I'll be obvious. You know, he knew that he needed somebody, a Jew in New York, you, okay. you know. To go in, Don't we all need a Jew in New York? That's Bob? where I was trying to get us <laughs> to have a real conversation. Thank you. We need. It seems like everybody needs <laughs> in a certain time. Of, yeah. Okay. Recording. Quest. I have a story that you might not think is funny, but you know that's me. Let's go. Let's go. Oh God. Oh yeah. I. I. Please understand. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it just came to me. All right. So uh, Diana and I are friends. She was picking out a gift for Barry Gordy. I happened to be in a clothing store. So the first time I meet Barry and Smokey and all of those people from Motown that Barry had with them, he had an entourage and we're having dinner at Diana's house. And I'm really cool. This is 52, 53 years ago. And so we're eating soul food. And, you know, I mean, you know, I'd already been used to it. But under the <laughs> crest, at that moment, at that time, I said, pass me the colored greens. <laughs> Yo, there is our animation Yo. right there. There is our animation I, I love right you. there. Yeah. Years ago. There is our yeah. animation clip you, right there, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, oh my God. good. Can you imagine the way they carried on? Oh. And then Diana, that's oh. when Diana was feeling you. Oh, that's so much embarrassment. It's so much from so many places. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that's what we call the collard greens from here on out. That's what. Yeah, the collard greens. Give them collard greens. It is okay. a distinction. Oh, I, I, wait, it's, it's only almost an hour, and we only got to one client. Okay. Oh yeah. With with Rufus and Shaka Khan, I got I got to skip to Rufus and Shaka Khan. Yeah. What at what point do you enter? Because I know that Rufus was a band on Epic Records before they went to ABC. How did, how did you enter into uh, managing Rufus and Shaka Khan? I'm not sure if it was Bobby Watson or Tony Maiden. Uh, I was really close with one of them. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it was Tony, the guitar player, because he used mm -hmm. to play. Um, you remember they used to put a mouthpiece in and play the chords and somehow like talk it would come Wow, wow. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Guitar, yeah. yeah guitar. You know, and so we had this relationship and, and Tony or Bobby found Shaka and it was Rufus. And would I be interested in managing them? And, you know, I had to worry about Billy being jealous or, you know, I, I don't mm. have to say that if a manager has 10 acts and one of them is doing better, you know, than the other. So Shaka and Rufus were opening for Billy Preston. And so, you know, it was a fine line there, you know, and then obviously, just like your children, one's more successful than the other. And so I watched the scales just turn and then Billy was the opening act and um, I was able to deal with it. I mean, I never out, went out and said, you know, I could manage you better. 
you, you know, a meatloaf came to me because I was, you know, uh, considered a real serious kind of guy when it came, you know, I'm playful. Yeah. But, you know, we all did in the 70s, you know, but but when it came to work, I didn't want to get high with my lawyer. I didn't want to get high with my accountant. My you man. Know, yeah. Business is business. You, you know, not, you know, so so it was. You know, I always went to, if I didn't know something, I always got somebody better. Now I get people that are analytical, strategic planners. You know, I, <laughs> I, I never, you know, my, the accountant that I got for Rufus, I never touched anybody's money. I never. I get A&M to pay me my commission direct. I had, they had an accountant that was an IRS agent, Billy and Chuck, and they had total control over their money. No, could never back. Meatloaf never got involved with <laughs> his finances. You know, always through the record company. And I think that's the mistake a lot of artists make. We hear about Elton John, his manager now has a hotel chain, you know, in the Bahamas. And then they took his American Express card away. Billy Joel lost all of his from publishing to to uh, to his brother-in-law, his sister's. Yeah. Friend, yeah. Um, you know, and couldn't make his house payments, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it took years to straighten it out. And so it's one thing, you know. I just was aware of other people. Maybe, maybe I'm lucky that I had a mom and dad that taught me right from wrong, that gave me no boundaries. Yeah, I'm really lucky. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded, too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Let me, let me ask you, in, in the 
in the imaging of Shaka Khan, in the very beginning, you know, the group was kind of, quote unquote, green. And then, you know, one or two, three records in, you know, this new image of Shaka, which is, I guess, probably the perfect balance of Betty Davis, who was totally wild, so wild in her imaging that, you know, she really kind of couldn't be marketed. And that of Tina Turner, like she sort of rode the middle of it. How how instrumental were you in sort of in encouraging Shaka? And I'm I'm kind of saying it in a business way, but I mean Chicago was I mean Shaka Chicago was very flamboyant and wild with their outfits and whatnot, you know. And I know that was that kind was of big. a first for a mainstream artist to really, especially a, a black woman, to to do those things. Even though Tina Turner and, and Betty Davis were kind of out the gate, but she Shaka like perfected it. How how instrumental were you in sort of encouraging like the wild outfits and the and just her general imaging? Well, uh, if you notice on her early records, I tried to create a logo to keep her happy and Rufus happy. And touring with the Stones, those lips, everybody today still knows, all of those are the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. So if you look on the early uh, albums, uh, their logo was Shaka's mouth, okay? Yeah. Um, you, you'll see that red logo, and I tried to drive it home. And then... Uh, <laughs> I owe you got- that. That, that. That gave five-year-old me nightmares. with that big ass poster on the wall in the dark like (laughs) no you can blame me for that honest to gosh so Um, i I have you to thank for that okay well no no but she you know she was wonderful you know i had this idea that she needed to be this is way before costumes and you know and uh, uh i thought she needed to be different so i dressed her up she kind of had this wild indian look and i happened to be in denver and you know, it started with a headdress and then it became an outfit. And then, you know, we built on it, you know, and she was really good to work with. I mean, she was, you know, she was open to ideas. I can't say that there were a lot of those were my ideas, but she made the final decision. I would never tell you, you got to record a song or why don't you bring back Donny Hathaway or why don't you, I'm very good friends with Elle. She's got some Elle Varner, you know, uh, do you know Jimmy Varner at all? I know Jimmy, uh, her father used to be in a what, dad, click. Yeah. Really? <laughs> her wow. father used to be in a click. Wait, didn't he play um, Jackie Wilson in... Um, and, and some Motown stuff? Yeah, he was, he was part he of that. He played Jackie Wilson in a movie singing Stop Dogging Me Around. I forget. <sighs> One of those... Was it LaBamba? Was- Not LaBamba. Like, he... Love yeah, it. I I remember uh, L Varner's dad was in in uh, a group called yeah, Click. No, no, they're they're friends of mine, you know. Um, and I'm just I'm just thinking how I could keep me entertaining and and throw some stuff out there. Shaka, um, Shaka was really easy, uh, and you got to remember I'm traveling around with Mick Jagger and nobody, no, I mean, they're better live than they are by records. Um, um, really. People, you, you know, I I, learn, I absorb a lot. I take it in like a sponge. And so I'm watching Mick, you know, and they're not selling all these records, but 
you know, there's crowds of people. You can we filled stadiums uh, 40, 40 years ago. We were just talking about like marketing Shaka's wildness in a way that, you know, I mean, in my opinion, like she definitely was one of the first artists that really in a nuanced way sold her sexuality in a way that was definitely pushing the envelope, but not like where Prince would really take it further and, you know, the eighties. But I mean, for me, that was revolutionary in the seventies. Sexy, sweet, and kind of natural in a way when you look at all them. Yeah, but no, I mean, I'm watching old, like she, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you know, she, she used what she got to get what she wanted. That was all influenced by Jagger and, and, um, and the way he pranced on stage and the boas and the stuff that he wore. That's around the time of David Bowie, you know, and if you're with Mick, you see David or you, you know, you know, so I saw was happening and I tried to bring it out into in Shaka. I thought she was beautiful and she was sexy and without being, you know, today it's almost overdone. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have twerking back then, but right. <laughs> we could be and want to see more. So I was always careful not to offend anybody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, we all remember the Janet Jackson and the Justin Timberlake. I mean, so many stories pressed a flood in and out of my head. Oh, um, yeah. There's the question I always wanted to know, though. Like one of my all time favorite records, uh, Rufus and Shaka Khan, uh, was their uh, album Ask Rufus in 77. But yeah. I also know that the group imploded that year. Um, and that's before, you know, they had to. Uh, you know, replace musicians and whatnot. Can you, what what was the the situation like in 77 that broke the band, the original incarnation of Rufus and Shaka Khan? What was that? What was the situation that made that happen? If you can get into it. Every band, every band goes through this, you know, Uh, uh, every band, you know, when they get too old, you can't get back together. But I see Journey is playing a Jones speech. You know, they they all start to think with success. You know, they all have opinions that they didn't have before. You know, when you're trying to make it, um, it's not so easy, you know, to explain. Um, but, but I saw the friction, you know, as it was happening. And I, you know, then we take Shaka and it's Rufus with Shaka Khan. And then, of course... With the success, you know, people are filling her ear. She doesn't need Rufus. You'll make, you know, you instead of splitting it five ways. I don't know. I felt the friction. I tried to separate it with Rufus and Shaka Khan. But there reached a point where she was writing and then, you know, she had a boyfriend. And it, it, it just became very convoluted. And as much as I wanted to keep it together because it was a huge success, you know, we could do two gigs in a day. At the, her height, we, you know, where I had a plane, you know, she'd play an afternoon festival and we'd fly to another gig at night. I mean, the weekends were ridiculous during the summer with her, um, you know, and I, I mean, honest to God, I mean, I, I, I filled Shea Stadium with her and the OJs and some five or six other acts. Um, how much how much babysitting did you have to do as far as like, did you have to operate out of your office or was it like mandatory for you to be on site at all times to make sure that everything runs uh, swimmingly. I had an office. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, building. Johnny Kirshner was my tenant. <laughs> John Kirshner? Yeah. Wow. Bert Sugarman. Do you know who that is? Yes, I know Bert Sugarman, Midnight Special. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I was I was a I was a kid that had to go to bed at eight o'clock, but his parents were cool enough to wake him up at like midnight to watch all those shows. So I go to bed at eight. They wake me up at eleven forty-five. I watch those shows till two a.m. Then go back to sleep. So oh, wow. we didn't have we didn't have VCRs back then. So it's sort of like this is your only chance to see Earth, Wind, and Fire. So we got in yeah. trouble. We didn't have streaming. We didn't have cell phones. If you're in Houston, Texas, what are you going to do? So. You know, I would always organize that we take the two one-bedroom suites and make one big living room so we would get sledgehammers and because, you know, and you're in Atlanta, there's nothing to do. So we'd remove the wall and have a big giant suite, you know, so it would be a two-bedroom with an enormous suite. But we get the roadies and we'd vacuum it. We were really proud of it, you know, that we did a really nice job, you know. You could do that? <laughs> Wait, time out. You could just sledgehammer a room down and the, the hotel be like, all right, oh, cool. So to make the two living rooms one big room, yeah, all the time. So hotel yeah, damaging was just a 70s thing, like, okay, well, we'll pay the <laughs> Keith Moon. He was scared, it would scare me. Yes, okay. I know Keith. Who in of, of all your clients, who was the most unruly in terms of gotta get bail money or Gotta make sure the press doesn't hear about this. Or, all right, how much hotel damage did they do? Or <laughs> missing the plane? Or, without saying stories, can you just say the one artist that you kind of had to have an eye on more than the other ones? Billy Preston. Wow. Okay, I see. I, I with to do, do him a favor. In between his houses, I registered his car to my office building. It was still in his name. But so that we could get insurance on his cars because he was moving into Topanga Canyon. I will tell you, he was in the studio with Sly Stone with Phil Spector when they did all of this crazy stuff. That's all you have to say. No, 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 no. They <laughs> they need beer. So Billy has a little friend and he goes to the 7-Eleven, hypothetically. I don't know where he went. Mm -hmm. He runs over 10 people and hits about 15 cars Whoa! and brings the car back to the studio. Okay, and never says a thing. Wait, say this one more time, please. Say this one more time. Yeah, that whole so sentence Preston, was chaos. Bill Specter, Say that story one more time to make sure I heard it correctly. So, they want some cavassier and some beer. So they send out one of the roadies or whatever you want to, you know, uh, one of Billy's friends, and they send him out in Billy's car to go and buy beer. Well, he ran over, you know, six or seven people. He hit about 15 cars and then came back and never said a thing. Luckily, my roommate was Bob Shapiro, okay? Whoa. Before I got married. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wow, he was, my that was your roommate. With assistant district attorney after he graduated school. Somebody introduced me and I said, could I stay there for a week? I'm just getting acclimated. And I stayed there for two years. Okay. Oh, my I, God. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, so, I mean, with Billy, with Shaka, I mean, he was on speed dial with everybody who would call me because <laughs> my roommate was Bob Shapiro. OJ. I mean, I don't right? need 
OJ yeah. and Legal Zoom. Thank you, Bob. That's right. Legal yes. Yeah, Legal. Castle, the Honest Company with Jessica Alba. Um, you know, I didn't I'm, know that. What? That's Jesus Christ. Oh, Bob, yeah. you're the greatest. Just... Nothing compared to Honest, but there are 800 lawyers. But, you know, and so Billy was, you know, that's just one of many stories. Okay. Mm-hmm. Billy Preston. But that's I a see. good one. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Sheesh. I just want to know that there was anybody who that what who they wanted you to manage them, and you were like, "I, mm, it's not a good fit." Yeah, who did you turn away that asked you to manage them? Best one, and Verdeem will tell you. You know, when they came to me, I said, "I'm too busy." Oh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> really? Fun. At the time, who were you busy with, this, Billy and, this, and Rufus? He'll say, "You know, maybe you know, 50 years later, maybe you should have thought about managing me because they're around and they're still unbelievable live." Mm-hmm. That part. Wow. Wait, I, I, this is the question I always had um, wanted to know. And even when I played with them, I forgot to ask. Um, I'm asking about Ron Wood right now. His his very first record, I've Got My Own Album to Do. Were you his manager at the time in Faces and Small Faces? Or were you his manager at the top of Ron Wood's career? I was not. Uh, that was the end of Ronnie Wood's career. That's going back. That's even back before Billy, the faces and, and Rod Stewart. Um, okay. So um, you, you, you came to Rod Ron at the beginning of his solo career after he left faces. Yes. Well, not even, he had a solo career. I want to be correct. He had a solo career and had an album out, I think on Warner brothers, but it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. He didn't really have a manager. Um, uh, there, there are managers and then there are managers, you know. Um, and so there are agents, agents. And of course, I don't have to tell you, you've probably been through a few over the years. Um, so Just the, one. The, 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 right. That's how but, good I am. <laughs> one no, person. That's loyalty. Yeah. I mean, respect loyalty, man. I really do. But, you know, Woody came to me. Um, uh, through a divorce, and I knew the Stones. The Stones contacted me because of Billy Preston. Okay, and then I found out they needed a guitar player, and they interviewed Jeff Beck, but he was out there. And they interviewed um, uh, Jeff Beck. I remember flying to Amsterdam. I remember flying Woody to Amsterdam. I remember, and he had that personality that clicked with Keith, like Billy did, and uh, you know they. They had to earn the respect with Keith. Um, uh, and so I was able to do that uh, sideman deal um, on that 76 tour. Uh, then right. the next tour came out, but Billy, Billy had a career, maybe 1970. And Woody stayed with them. And then eventually they made him a stone uh, because he fit in. He had his own personality. And we call them followers today, but he brought more followers you know, to the Stones, more, uh, you know, more personality, let's say, uh, gave it a new face. I didn't make the deal. I made the deal, the first deal for him to join as a sideman with Billy Preston in 1976. I did make that deal. So that's how Ron Wood was on Soul Train. I get yeah, it now. Absolutely. And Ron stayed with me in Malibu. But you got to remember, he was, Rod was living in in, uh, in Los Angeles, and so Woody was, um, you know, was spending a lot of time in L.A., but he didn't have a home. And I said, you know, 
calm down, <laughs> you know. So we lived together for the summer, and that was one heck of a summer because as well-known as Billy was, you know, Woody was from England and, you know, and, uh, you, you know, from uh, at a house in Malibu Colony. And, I mean, you cannot believe the people that were coming by, you know, from uh, Steven Tyler, you know, to Keith Moon. Uh, mm-hmm. What's her name? Uh, Bonnie Raitt. Oh, wait a minute. Who else? That girl. Um, she was dating the governor at the time. She was a regular. Uh, Linda Ronstadt. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh. Thank yep. you. Well, now we're yeah, on I'm on it. The hour went by and now you're just picking, <laughs> picking up. I'm on ESPN. it. Man, that's ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> no, ESPN. I'm, I'm on it. Can you settle this debate? Is it true that Billy Preston is really one of the co-authors of The Stones' Miss You? You know, when that song became a monstrous hit, I, I, I've heard rumors and stories that they were touring in Paris or whatever, and then Billy Preston played a riff, and then Mick was like, what's that, what's that, what's that, let's work on it. Was he ever properly compensated or included as a songwriter on Miss You, or was it just all Glimmer Twins and we'll just keep you on payroll? Glimmer Twins. Damn. Yeah, Glimmer Twins. Mm. Hmm. Yikes. Are there any other stories similar to that? Like, what well, did I he mean, co-write My Sweet Lord too? Or <laughs> no, My Sweet Lord is all Billy. <laughs> that's uh, all. okay. <laughs> Damn. That's all. You know, that's that's his roots. That's from growing up in James Cleveland's church. You know, that's that's what he believed in. You you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Joe Cocker hit. I mean, you know, Billy played kick, uh, cakewalk. I mean, I learned how to cakewalk. No, what it's is, funny because I was like, I, mm, what is? Mm. You know, when you feel the music, you get up and you prance in a in a in a black church. No. Okay. Are you just teaching me black Holy history? Those by no. I, I, I know. When's I don't, the last time a white person taught us the black shit? I Never happened before. Ever. This is a big well, night. If it was gonna be three. somebody, yeah, I guess we're, it'd be you got to see me moon, moonwalk. <laughs> yeah, I, and you can moonwalk too? Okay. Oh, so walk, cakewalk, moonwalk. Okay, we got it all. So wait, Bob, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be shady, but not without being crass, but I have a feeling like, was was Diana your first sister? Was was what, Diana? Was Diana your first sister? Uh, yes. Really? Yes. Was she your last? Uh, yes. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Off the books. I'm not dead. Okay. Actually, so, wait, I do have a question. Did you manage Diana Ross or was she just your wife at the time? She was just my wife at the time. Wow. And the very Gordy Diana thing was just too strong. You know. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, she went to RCA. You know, so did Michael go to, you know, Columbia. You know, it, mm-hmm. You know, I have the I have nothing but respect from what Barry created and and the whole thing. I'll just leave it at that. You know, uh, but people grow up, you know, and start to ask questions. And so, from the seventies to the eighties, we see us we see a change. And then, of course, Prince, you know, you you, you know, felt he was a slave to uh, was it Warner Brothers? You know, yeah, mm-hmm. and just went on strike. You know, uh, slowly but surely there were groundbreaking moments like that. But the Stones always paid homage to Muddy Waters, B.B. King, you know, all of those, John Lee Hooker. I mean, they they would, I can remember going with, you know, where Woody and, and Keith and, and Mick, 
you know, just would get on the stage and pay their, you know, respect. Of course, they took all the licks from them. I was them. about to say, what else they pay? <laughs> you, know, the, <laughs> you know, Eric Clapton, the same thing, you yeah. know. But yeah, he'll never deny it. Eric Clapton would tell you that he learned from John Lee Hooker and, and, and Muddy Waters. I mean, they don't deny it. They honor these guys. Yeah, but they know. also, did they understand their position and why, you know, they kind of been pushed forward even fast? You know, it's, just, it's interesting in that way, right? Because they have succeeded and sold more records and because of this. You know, what can I say? You know, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people got rich on the, on, on the back of other people. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it doesn't, it's not only the music business. Look at the basketball players, yeah. the football players. Look at this guy that did 60 minutes with the baseball players coming out of DR and Cuba, you know, giving them the advance because there's, you know, eight people sleep into a room. But when, you know, they know who's important, but, you know, then they have yeah. to pay. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw that baseball guy that has a public company that invests in the players and you sign away 25%, but he takes care of your family now and he takes, so he's hitting like six out of 10 guys making it to the major leagues. And he's got a hedge fund that, you know, takes advantage of these Hispanic ballplayers, you know, but it, that'll change too, but they're getting out of Cuba and they're getting out of DR, but you go down to the DR and baseball diamonds are like, you know, soccer fields in England, you know, everybody's playing baseball. It's the way out. It's, you know, we're just open to it. You know, the internet has made us aware of all of this, um, this nonsense that's going on. Um, and it seems to be not connecting us, you know, but separating us. Well, yeah. Cause the way you just broke it down too, Bob, it's like based on Bill, at least Billy Preston's story. And what we just talked about is like with muddy waters and all those folks, it's like this music business was on their backs and you know, most of them didn't receive accolades are cool, but again, now they ain't get no pay. what else they get. Right. And that still is what it is. And the music business become a billion trillion dollar situation. So it's just, it's fascinating in the music business in that way, how it's just literally on their backs. You know, we've seen a tremendous change, you know, yeah. uh, when, when Apple came along with the uh, iPod, you know, when, when then there was a, uh, Spotify. But before that, there was a company in Australia that was playing songs on the Internet. Uh, it was yeah. actually a Facebook movie because he was one of the investors in Facebook. What was the Napster. name? Of the Napster. That's my Napster? No. Yes. Napster. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Do you know? Do you remember any of those stories? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lived them. <laughs> Napster was the first streaming service for music, but you didn't. Nobody got paid. It right. was like the boats off of England that could broadcast, um, you know, rock and roll music. Um, but there was a boat. Pirate radio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm seeing some head shaking. You, you remember those stories? Yeah. There was a film done. Um, I love that film. I saw that. It was good. The yeah, one about the pirate radio station. Film, in England. Yeah. You know, we're going back 55 mm -hmm. years. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. 
Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa! Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, guys. It's Rich Davis from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So... Check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. What was it about meatloaf mm. that told you all right i'm gonna take a chance on this guy mm-hmm. because you know even with even with sort of todd rundgren and i said that uh incorrect because steve's not here to correct me <laughs> uh he gets mad when i mispronounce close todd's me. name my fellow no, philadelphian no 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 but how what was it about meatloaf because i i mean i know that you know, in the 70s, you could sell any artist. I sort of feel like after Christopher Cross at the Grammys in the 80s, that's when the age of the Motley artist was over. Like, you had to have a look, a good look, or a unique look, memorable look, um, after that point. Now we're sort of, like, getting away from body shame and all those things, but it was like, at the time when you're being approached by Meatloaf, like, what was it about him that said, you know what? This shit's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and how did you get 12 million people to agree mm-hmm. with you? You know, once again, you know, I was around. I got to see uh, The Who do Tommy, which is the first mm-hmm. opera, rock and roll opera. Tina Turner was the acid queen. Acid queen. You- Oh, so you're, theater, high theater, yeah. Theater. At Radio City, in in um um, um at the Palladium or whatever it was in England, you know, I think that helped her career, you know, by it being involved, it, crossover kind of. I don't know if it crossed over, but this rock and roll opera, and I knew that there was something there, you know. And Meatloaf, uh, although I wasn't the first manager, uh. Mm-hmm. uh but Todd Rundgren was, you know, was uh, Jim Steinman and Todd are the reason that this rock opera happened, you mm-hmm. know. 
And because I'm aware of the who and Townsend, you know, and Daltrey, and I'm watching these live performances because I'm part of that inner circle, you know, I'm hearing something, you know, where it doesn't have to be a whole opera. So it has to be an extravaganza. You know, it's when we had Pyro, when uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, the piano would go around while he's playing the grand piano, the entire piano was going around. If you ever saw um, yeah. uh, some of those bands and the special effects that they had was incredible. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm seeing that Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, you remember they used to fly things um, in the air, the yes. pig was in the air. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm aware of it. So I tried to bring it into a stage performance where, you know, I had a, a 40 foot motorcycle, you know, that actually you could ride and smoke came out of the, you know, smoke came out of the, you know, it was part of the stage. It was part of the staging. Um, Back then, you know, you had to, you know, we were competing, you know, to draw attention, but in England, you know, whatever he did, you know, he was on the charts for two years, you know, it was absolutely incredible. So we moved, we moved to England. Uh, We were, lucky enough to to be put up in England and then we just we could tour England you know go around the entire country Scotland you know uh, uh Ireland and then come back and we could do you know we could do Wembley Stadium again not the stadium but the indoor but what I want to know is that Bad Out of Hell was his first record so it's like I would think in breaking an artist like you start off small like you you know, you you play the troubadour, you play the thing. But I mean, am I to believe that this unknown, unproven act just comes out the gate and you're instantly thinking, and I know it has to be costly, expensive rock opera, and we're going to sell gazillion I'm units. I'm not even going to believe this story, and you can't make this stuff up. The, rec- <laughs> the record comes out, okay? You mm-hmm. know, He's an ex-football player, a lineman. I mean, he's bigger than life, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's time to tour. And he loses his voice for eight months. Do you hear me? He can't talk. Nothing comes out of his mouth for eight months, and the record's starting to climb and climb and climb. And we're going to vocal coaches, psychiatrists. We're going to try and figure out what's the matter with his voice. And we couldn't get his voice back. Was he psychosomatic, do you think? Oh. I think we all are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was about to say eight months and losing your voice. That that's that's fear right there. That's fear, fear of success, fear of everything. But I mean, it came out in a way where it wasn't nerves or not sleep. It, it came out where he lost. He couldn't sing. I'm telling you, he couldn't wow. sing. And, mm-hmm. and so once again, being at the right place and timing and everything. So what's happening is that there's. Who's Meatloaf? Where is he? Why doesn't he perform? He can't even do TV or any of that. And then when he got his voice back, man, we went to England where the record was number one for 20 weeks in a row. Oh, you know, and that's how okay. that's, um, he burst onto the scene. So he had an eight month sort of build up thing. Six or eight a, month. I remember. A, a tantric it. career. Yeah, no, but that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think. David Sonnenberg was the original manager, but, you know, he had successful acts and didn't want to deal with somebody. You know, it all happened kind of suddenly. And of course, he lost his voice. And then, um, you know, I met him and I said, oh, my gosh, you know, um, I I know his voice is going to come back. Right. 
and that, that's how that that's how come he came onto the scene. Uh, but I had the experience of watching Freddie Mercury, of watching The Who, of watching Led Zeppelin. You know, right. I mean, I, my time at, at that time, my favorite song for a moment was Stairway to Heaven. Of course, now it's become my theme song, meaning there's a new meaning to Stairway to Heaven for me. <laughs> no, nah, you're here, man. No. You're here. <laughs> so wait, were you were you his manager also between? Both out because I know that after Bad Out of the Hell, he took a what an eight to twelve break, I believe. Before yep. we went to Tom Dowd uh, at Criteria. Do you remember Criteria in Miami? I know Criteria. Yeah. You know, yes. Tom Dowd was like the wall of sound with Phil Spector, Tom Dowd, and Muscle Shoals. I don't know if you have ever seen the Netflix special I've on that it. that white rhythm section that was doing mm-hmm. all the great black artists. You know, they were yep. really, but man, you know, um, that sound was all Muscle Shoals. It's a great uh, Netflix uh, special because, I mean, I looked at it and I couldn't believe it, you know. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And people were flying in, you know. Uh, you know, James Brown, I mean, some ridiculous names were flying to Muscle Shoals, Muscle Shoals for that studio and that sound. And so, um, you know, Tom Dowd and then... What happens is that, you know, everything is recoupable. And that's a word that you probably know, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, mean, uh, I barely know it, yes. <laughs> I know it the hard way. <laughs> you know, do the video. You want to spend a hundred grand? Here's a hundred grand, but it's recoupable. And before you knew it, you know, he was in debt to Columbia, to Epic. In such debt, there was no way if he had another bat out of hell that he could pay them back. And so, you know, there was a way to get out of that debt, um, and that was called bankruptcy. And then your contracts became null and void. And so oh, you, uh, eight years. I get it. Wow, really? With the New Deal. But I didn't say it. So he <laughs> could he could survive for eight years without neither hit nor... And he didn't care, like, the age of videos going by and all those things. And I mean... You know, he, he came back with whatever. I I, I won't do, do that. Love, I forget the name right? of the song. I do anything but, for love. Is that when that came? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he came back, but still, okay. that that's a hell of a risk, just for bankruptcy, well, or we to also, avoid bankruptcy. You know, like Billy Preston had A and M Records. We had Arista Records, England, that couldn't wait to sign him. And I don't think it was eight years. I think it was more like five or six years uh, in between records, but. What brought him back a second time was that he went back to Jim Steinman. Bonnie Tyler had, uh, which was Meatloaf's Lips song. Heart. Total yeah. Clip, yeah. Close Close clip. Heart. But that was really for Meatloaf. But they were few like Rufus and Chaka, everybody else, like the Beatles, like uh, Coroner, like Journey. I mean, you, you know, it's just going on and on. And so Steinman gave it to Bonnie Tyler. She did a hell of a Yo, job. You're so yeah. right. Dude. Total Eclipse of a Heart is such it's a total meat meat song. It's a meat 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 were there any other client, uh, clients that you have that we don't know about or for a brief time? Um, 
I had a, I was spending so much time in England. I made friends with other managers. Um, uh, I can't think of his name, but Wham was one of his groups. Uh, Curiosity killed the cat. The Stranglers. If you look at the Stranglers, they were like, um, you know, like uh, some of those uh, uh, punk rock bands that had a, right. had a bit of success. Um, so, but so the, guy, you, you- the guy didn't want to travel back to New York or the United States. So I would handle not that, you know, I only commissioned the touring in America. So I was involved with a lot of English bands um, and I had, a you know, a lot of success as being a reasonable guy to deal and represent the managers in England that didn't want to be bothered coming over. Um, so when their acts would come to the States, you sort of tag team and uh, sort of co-manage the agents to, to the whole nine yards. Um, I was able to uh, handle their, their American tours. Yes. At what point, um, well, you mentioned Wham at all. Did you have to deal with them when, when those albums were first coming out or make it big or the fantastic record at the beginning? No, I, I was, I was very good friends with their manager. And, okay. and so it brought me into the, you know, into the Shep Gordons of England, you know. Right. Uh, and so one relationship led to another relationship. You got to remember, it was my life, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, I was very comfortable in England, uh, in the music industry, you know. Uh, and of course, traveling with, uh, you know, with the Stones. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I was, I was part of that, you know, that Clive Davis Going back to Colombia, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pr- this is before Tommy Matola. Um, right. You know, and Walter I think Yenikoff and Walter was a very good friend. In fact, you brought up a name, Howling at the Moon. Did you ever read his book? Uh, I just got done reading. That was one of my pandemic books. Yes. I. That's a crazy story. It's a, absolutely crazy. We're not going to go there, but trust me. Very, I was, <laughs> yeah, very crazy Howling story. at the Moon. You know, he yeah. was... He was a, a great friend of mine. As crazy as he was, he was loyal. Uh, he was, you know, I, I have the most respect for him. And a lot of the English bands that I managed in this country came through Walter. In fact, he put me up for curiosity, killed the cat. Okay. Uh, it was a, a three-hit miracle band, all three good-looking kids, you know, that could really sing, like BTS or something like that. But, you know... 40 years ago, but I, you read Howling, with the, Howling at the Moon. <laughs> um, I've read it, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, is, there, is there a point where, was there ever a point um, in the 80s or the 90s where you're just like, I'm lost? Like every manager sort of has a breaking point with, even with C, label CEOs, you mentioned Walter Yetnikoff and, you know, he's, he's very um, forthcoming with, like his cocaine addiction and that sort of like sort of did him under um, Shep, of course, made it known that, you know, having uh, almost two uh, cardiac arrests told him I better slow it down. And he just took on Alice and no one else was there. Shep did one other thing. He discovered chefs. So Emeril Lagasse, before there were chefs, the yes. men yeah. saw his special. It's very special because he's, He's the one that kind of created 
the chefs for the Food Network. There wouldn't have been a Gordon Ramsay. There wouldn't have been a Bobby Flay. There wouldn't have been, uh, you know, if it wasn't for chefs. None of those guys. That's how I got connected with Chef. My my friendship with him was actually in his food world. And then... You know, he told me about Teddy Pendergrass and everyone before him. But yeah, in the, in the food world, that's, you know, that was his pivot. Did you did you wind up having any other? Well, I know now you're you're uh, involved in the 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 long overdue hip hop uh, museum. First of all, what can you explain what what the, the what the general plan is with the hip hop museum and, and as far as like building it and structuring it? Uh, we broke ground, um, you know, about uh, three or four months ago. Uh, LL yeah. Cool <laughs> I wasn't invited, but okay, yeah. <laughs> no, we, we get email. We couldn't get your email, even with mm-hmm. the, even with the DM finally, we were able to communicate. But hey, um, yeah. go down in the DMs, right? <laughs> I I get real snarky uh, on Twitter before I got a, an answer back. But uh, go ahead. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> um, I was working that day. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, I look, at we're together now. That's what's there important. There is. You know Pretty what good. I mean? And so uh, we had Nas, we had Slick Rick, uh, Fat Joe. A lot Fat of these, Joe. you know, I think Nas is from Queens, uh, Fat mm-hmm. Joe in the Bronx. But hip-hop started in the Bronx. I mean, there's no doubt about yeah. that, yeah. you know. Um, um, and, of course, we lost Biz Marquis uh, uh, mm-hmm. this weekend. So Rocky's dream for the last nine years um, uh, and once again, I did Strong City with Rocky Buchanan. It is his mm-hmm. dream. It is his idea. He's the CEO of this nonprofit. He wants to do a Hall of Fame for uh, hip hop artists. He wants to do the Walk of Fame with hip hop artists. Mm. It's It was a little hard catching on. We were able to close a Microsoft deal, but it wasn't just money. It was their technology that would make this an AI museum an interactive experience where you could actually tag a subway car, but it would disappear, but you could get that selfie like the pink wall. So, um, wow. you know, they have a machine that you could tell what you, you know, the, the, the kind of music that you like from the past and the, and the present, and it'll actually give you a playlist on Spotify, automatic, you know. And so it's, it's a dream of Rocky's just going to be a theater there's going to, we're taught, we're hoping that, it, you know, we've got a commitment from the state, a commitment from, uh, from the city. We're up to about 35 million. We've just got the interior design. Um, and we're hoping that more people will get involved. Uh, but, it, but it's off to a great start. We're about 70% there. Um, okay. um, and we broke ground and, uh, there's so much more that Rocky could tell you about, but 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 everything is going in the right direction. And I see, you know, we'll be done by 2024. We brought on the right people. There are some companies that all have uh, diversity departments now. Oh, yeah. Right. What about, do you think Adidas owes something to the rap community? Do you think, think Nike, so. owes something, Nike owes, owes something to the rap Timberland. community? Coca-Cola, uh, I mean, I Curtis Blow. I mean, how long have they taken advantage of hip hop and not given back? So you, is that you, why you decided to be on the on the committee? Oh no, but I mean, Rocky's my friend for thirty right. years. Right. But I mean, come on, man. I mean, 
you know, I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, Rocky needed help with Strong City. I went to Universal. Um, right. And this is, a, you know, this to me, if I can help Rocky, wow, what a way to go out. You know, I mean, yeah, so keeping me really active, you know, we're trying to put on um, Orchard Beach uh, in Welcome Back New York when they're doing the great lawn. Clive Davis is doing uh, the great lawn, you know, with spring and uh, Paul Simon. Nas is on that show, Earth, Wind and Fire, Jennifer Hudson. But, you know, we just got George Clinton for Forest Hills um, and the Funkadelics. It's his 50th anniversary or something. But we're going to have a lot of guests, you know, to participate in that show. We've got the pier in in Brooklyn. Um, I don't have the, the, the list, uh, but, you know, next Friday is the deadline for everything. And then we have uh, uh, the Hip Hop Museum is doing Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens in the Bronx. Um, uh, and they're going to give us uh, three minutes on the big screen because CNN is going to broadcast live from the Great Lawn. So when Nas comes on, uh, they're going to give us uh, two and a half minutes of the history of hip hop, which we're putting together now. Um, so that would be kind of cool for everybody to see where hip hop, you know, originated. Um, so 2024, so, yeah. we, we used to see completion on this. Yes, absolutely. All right, I'm gonna get my contribution on so I can earn the the quest love wing. Yeah, you like, uh, <laughs> <over>. <laughs> <laughs> to be involved. <laughs> we don't want your money. <laughs> we want you. Nah, and- I feel you. I feel you. Okay, because I just want to know. Okay, so you know, as you know, one of the reasons that we brought you to the show is because we were talking to your daughter Tracy, and mm, I have I to. I forgot ask- Tracy was her. Da- <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I have to ask you, because if anybody follows you on Instagram, you're the ultimate grandpa. You're the ultimate girl dad with Rhonda and Chutney and Tracy, of course. But um, I want to know for you and Diana, because Tracy talks about her upbringing and how she never felt at a loss. Like her mom was a superstar. Her dad is a superstar manager. But she never felt like she didn't see her parents. She never felt like she wasn't raised in a wholesome environment. I wanted to know, like, what conscious choices did you two make as parents because you're, you're torn you didn't told us for an hour and a half all these places that you've been but you still to her are the best daddy ever how did you make a conscious decision to make sure that happened uh we both saw our weaknesses uh i was lucky enough to go to college um uh, you know diana started six, singing when she was 16 we never saw other people we never saw color in our house we saw other people. We were able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 53 years ago. We just celebrated. We, I didn't celebrate. I mean, I just, this past January, I married her 50 years ago. Wow. You know, I know wow. her for 53 years. We were conscious of the, the way they were going to raise because they were mixed. You know, we were conscious that we had to educate them. It was a lot different back then. I think maybe two years before I got married, it was illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just Sammy Davis and I, you know, that were out there that publicized it. There's been movies, some great movies, you know, of illegally, but you know, it, you know, I think, when did I get married? 69 or something like that. I can't even do the n- numbers. So Diana took the children everywhere and I spent, you know, even when we were divorced, I had them every weekend, you know, um, we were on top of it. You know, uh, I can remember one of putting Tracy out of the car, you know, because 
she she has my personality. Yes, she and, does. Um, yeah, I was on 95. I'll never forget this story. Uh, well, one time on the way to school, she was telling me which way to go, and she had her foot up on the seat. I took a shoe and I threw it out on Park Avenue. Uh, Tracy oh, story. Oh, I like that. She bought some pants. She put a $25. She needs the pants. Dad, can you pick them up? Can you pick them up? A pair of suede pants. The guy said, uh, that'll be seven. Now, you got to remember, you know, she's 16 or 14, and I pick up a pair of suede pants. There's about $700, and all she did is put, she needed them, she had them shortened, and she's always been into clothes, but, you know, we've always had this, we are so much alike in so many ways, you know, Rhonda and I have a special bond, and Chudney's the baby, and I don't know, I don't see, I still see them as young girls, you know, um, we just had the opportunity of the three grandchildren and my three daughters um, at Rhonda's apartment for a great get together and pictures, um, you know, that we can compare when uh, when Tracy and Rhonda and before Chudney was even born. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, it's just being in touch. Now I text and I do these uh, uh, robots with my grandson. Um, and, and yeah, he's and, a star all day. You, you know, I'm I'm making what is the name? Hero. I make my own uh, robots with their own costumes, and I try and outdo them. So it, it's staying involved. It's being aware. It's just it's 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 a strange time in this country. And so you know, some things you want to share, some things you don't want to share with children. Um, um, it's just being aware and, you know, everybody's got to get together. It's all about love. I mean, it really is. There uh, you go. You know, there, you go, man. there it is. There it is. Well, you know, I, I, I was told not to call you uh, Mr. Ellis. No, so, no. Bob. You're, my, you're my pal, Bob. Bob, we thank you <laughs> for coming on the show. Um, once again, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Bob Ellis. Yes, uh, on behalf of... Uh, Sugar Steve and Fontigolo and Unpaid Bill and Light Yeah. Uh, this is Questlove, another educational Questlove Damn. Supreme. Whoa. Whoa. We will see you. Oh, wait, did I say something wrong? No, I was just I was agreeing with you on the educational. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's, that was oh, my bad. I, I thought I was like, wait, this is Questlove Supreme, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we will see you on the next go round. All right. Thank you very much. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte. Make sure you keep up with us on Instagram at QLS and let us know what you think and who should be next to sit down with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. All right? Peace. Voice Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Farm to store in days, not weeks. 
That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.